listening to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host, Brendan Morahan. Okay, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Construction Big Breakfast. Um, I'm delighted to, just today that uh, joining us is Colin Murphy, a director and family member of the Murphy Geospatial Limited uh, business. Very welcome, Colin. Look forward to finding out about your business and what you've been up to in the last few months. And of course, my colleague, many of you will know Ben Pritchard. So good morning, Ben. Good to see you again. So it's been a long time since we've morning, seen guys. each other in person as well. So we're still relying on these these cameras, aren't we? And uh, as always, we start with with the main meal of the day. So uh, I've had my staple uh, grapefruit and porridge with some uh, Invent coffee. Um, that staple for me. But what about you, Colin? How do you start your day? Yeah, good, good morning, guys. Um, I suppose my regular, I, I was going to honour the breakfast, uh, big breakfast with having two uh, boiled eggs, but uh, I didn't this morning. Um, yeah, my regular is porridge, uh, coconut porridge with uh, banana, blueberries and some honey. And it keeps me going pretty well. But uh, yeah, for the last couple of years now, that's my kind of staple of breakfast. Yeah, yeah, very good. Trying to be healthy. Yeah, no, like Colin, I had every intentions of uh, cracking some eggs, um, but I didn't quite get around to it. So, <laughs> um, so it was uh, a porridge and a cup of tea for me as well. Very good. It's the problem when we so actually kind of do these things in the morning, Brendan. We haven't really got the time. <laughs> no, that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's an innovation waiting to happen. Yeah. So Colin, you and I have known known each other for for some time, and. Uh, you know, certainly from a, a distance, I've been very impressed with what you have done as a business and what you are doing. And I know that in the recent past, you've gone through another evolution of your business. Um, you've rebranded. Um, take us through the, the journey you've been on and the importance of that rebranding and really why you did it and some of the challenges you faced as you're, you're going through that. Yeah, certainly. Um the business is in is heading towards its uh, heading towards its fortieth uh, year um, business um, started by my my late dad, and um, I suppose our, the core of our business has been the value we add um, to to projects, uh, stakeholders, asset holders, and um, we've always been challenging ourselves to be honest in terms of of where we sit in the the project or the the asset life cycle. And the importance of what we do and we, we've never felt overly comfortable with just being a survey company we, we've always felt we, we add more to the project and, and the data we collect so um uh through a series of years of, of in-house workshops and challenging ourselves and some external support we, we we've um we've uh, changed the mindset of the business and and, and obviously changed the the uh the naming and rebrand and so on and and move to geospatial and 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 for us um we're we feel we're data custodians to our to our um, clients to our projects to the assets um and and we follow um our, our our model now is very much to follow the projects right through right through the, the life cycle and be that golden thread of data and certainty um and it, everything that escalates around that and the support mechanisms interesting yeah like and, and have you found that culturally Sorry, Ben. So I say I like that data custodians. I like that. That's yeah. a sort of a, yeah. a nice term. I've not heard that before. It's very good. 
Yeah, I think that I think data is undervalued from from our point of view. Data is undervalued, um, uh, as you know, Brendan and, and Tim would obviously know, and and so on. Ben, For, uh, projects. If you take any typical project, um, you, in in the past you've had survey data. Mostly, it's a a line item in a BOQ, and it's a cost item, and it's almost a tick box. Let's get the surveying company in to to do whatever they have to do. Whereas um, they spend on large on large projects, they can spend six figure sums, if not more, on, on survey. But mostly that information is discarded. Or uh, in the past, you've had a big big bank of drawings, and they're thrown in a drawer somewhere and never to be seen before. But when you, when you see the way buildings are moving and, and assets and and the life cycle of an asset, um, uh, now what we do is we the data we collect has got value so if, if you if we're engaged early on a on a so you take a typical development in the city if we're engaged early and we collect the data of the existing site um we ensure that ensure that data is correct we verify it the design teams then engage at least it is they're, they're designing and making assumptions off verified data so when the contractor goes to site they know as long as it's designed to the data it's going to fit there isn't going to be clashes. There isn't going to be issues. Then, if you verify that data and, and that build through the through the life cycle of the construction, so a frame goes up, there's there's clash, there's verification, there's as built if needs be, etc. But ultimately, you have an as built model um, of your actual build. There's a lot of value in that when you move forward to FM and operations and management. Um, and when you take you take a large estate estates uh, company, um, uh, Grosvenor House, Great Port, and any of these guys have large assets, uh, Blackstones. Um, tr traditionally, they have management companies with loads of people, possibly in vans, driving around the place, going checking buildings, and uh, they may want to repaint a building or refloor an area. Send the guys out in the vans to go verify and check. Whereas, whereas where we're going um, with an enriched data set, all you need is a PC, one guy or girl sitting at a PC, and they access a, a, a digital data set where they can run the, run the queries and the algorithms and it fires out at the, all the information because it's verified, it's correct. You don't need to necessarily go anywhere. So the speed, the cost, everything is reduced. But, but tell me... Uh, one of the big issues we have, in, in my opinion, in this industry is is the short term nature of the way decisions are made. And as, as you said, there is immense long term value in the sort of work that you do. Yeah. But I suspect there is a perception that there is a short term cost in gaining that. Yeah. That um, is not deemed acceptable in some of the current budgeting and pricing for commissions. And yeah. therefore, people don't really commit to that cost to gain that value. How are you addressing that dilemma? Or indeed, is it a dilemma you do face? It, it is. And it's, a, it's an education probably from the commercial side of, of projects. Um, as I said, survey data, data capture is a, mostly is a line item um, in a cost, whereas we see now that it's almost the graph is changing. It's a front loading of that cost and then it diminishes because that the more data, the more you spend up front, the more data you get, the more informed um, decisions can be made. You can preempt issues, um, small issues, like if, if, if you've got good subsurface information, rather than just taking a desktop study 
and taking all the service providers' word for it in terms of the accuracy, do, do, a, do a proper um, investigation, um, especially when you're talking about London where there's so much subsurface inf- or, uh, utility, et cetera. The more you spend up front that way, um, it's going to it's going to mitigate and reduce all sorts of issues down the line. But it, it is it is a re-education of the process, to be honest, and um, a valuing of that data and what that data means overall to the project um, life life cycle and, and duration. But um, there is more and more case studies examples of this coming out now, where there's proof that that actually engagement and good data is saving time, is saving money, etc. And of course, the uh, the recently announced construction playbook is encouraging data sharing via the contract itself. So you know, there's going to be more regulatory uh, and other sticks and carrots in place to encourage that and promote that. Exactly, exactly. That's only, that, uh, look at that's that's good for the industry overall. Um, de- definitely, there is like I'm generalising saying that an education of the, of the industry, but there are certain sectors that that I suppose have have copped on to this or realized the value of this probably, probably earlier than, than some and, and we work in them as well and, and it's it's amazing the stark contrast from some of the sectors we work in to so like the the pharma blue chip industrial side and um, th- those industries know exactly the importance of data and the value of data whereas your your house builders your contractor side are slower to adopt yes they're talking about less value probably in terms of data but the workflows that we're we have developed for our pharma and tech. Um, we're we're um, utilizing them and trying to adopt them into our um, construction around tall buildings and uh, and residential, etc. It's, it's sort of inherent in the cultures of those industry, though, isn't it? To to look for data and look for insights and knowledgeable uh, and actionable uh, insights from that data. It, it's much more required in their day job the, the, than some of the more traditional parts of, uh, of our construction industry require. Yeah, and, t- and time is money and and, yeah. and the money element of, of chip manufacturing is substantial. So the, the, the more data they have, the quicker they have it, obviously it has to be verified and correct. If not, the knock-on effect is enormous. So they, they place huge value on it. Yeah, it's all about, the, like you say, the first chips through the... Uh, through the uh, the machines in the factory, whereas construction, you, you were only making progress if there's a shovel in the ground. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Like I I I keep like I'm a I'm a Lego nut. I love Technics Lego. Um, and and as a kid, I've always um struggled in terms of the belief around why can't buildings be built in such a simple format that you get a Lego box with a set of instructions. It's manufactured in a, in a factory. It fits. And and why can't why can't we develop and just, like we have our our offsite manufacturing the accuracies that 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 offsite is building to are like it's it's well achievable it all goes downhill when we put it on the back of a lorry and start heading towards the site because shortcuts have been taken on site in terms of of either verifying setting out verifying frame steel, steel installation etc. Uh, and um, and and our your your offsite pod etc comes along and it's kind of shimmied into place or uh, it, it's 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 there's only small there's a, there's very small steps that have to be taken to to ensure that that process actually 
runs smoother and and more more efficiently and that's uh, that's all that needs to be done and the changes in 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 uh, efficiencies and cost and timing will just accelerate i mean there's a, a wide body of thought now that construction is going to move very much to the more an assembly process and integration of systems and obviously were that to be achieved the the data is actually built into the asset from the outset yeah uh, yeah which arguably puts you out of work colin uh, no, no, it, it, it's all data sets, so it's, uh, it still has to be verified. They still, they still have to leave the factory and it still has to be positioned on site. Um, it, it actually probably makes our life easier. So, so we will take that data, data enriched um, pod, et cetera, and that's built into our ultimate data set. Then we can take that metadata, et cetera, and build it in. So it's, it's um, no, like we, we like where it's going. Um, uh, like we're, we have we have a software side of the business where where for years we've been developing the portal and access point of that where we can host and um, make um, I suppose data more accessible to our clients uh, and um, the verification process around that and that's where we want we want clients we want to host the data but verify it and be that independent um, source of truth I suppose for projects for asset owners. Um, a lot of people we're engaging in now, um, from 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 semi-state to government, etc., are starting to engage with us to what we're to to um, um, create what what we're referring to as a geospatial management plan. So it's basically an engagement of um, specifications, how people engage from a data point of view uh, in their estate, their project, etc. So it, so it takes the best of industry. Um, specifications, methodologies, et cetera, and it create, puts them into a, a management plan. And it's almost like um, when you go to site from a safety point of view, you have to be inducted. So what we're doing now and some projects and starting to take traction is you come to the site, you get inducted from a data point of view. So how you think about a large project, you've got M&E contractors, you've got frame, you've got civils, et cetera. So basically there'll be induction on this is the site control. These are where the, the, the station control points are. This is what you use, et cetera, et cetera. This, this is the naming structure. This is the formatting. This is the accuracy that are required. This is the methodology that needs to be used, et cetera. This is where this you is save, where you save. This, the, how regular you're doing updates, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that sort of stuff is where we're, we're on projects now where we have that geospatial management role, where we're managing it on behalf of the client to ensure that ultimately they have, they have a coherent uh, verified data set that's a value to them uh, moving forward so then when they roll on 5 10 15 years when they want to do an, a, a refit or an extension to something they just they have that data sitting there in the cloud um, they don't need to go spending money oh let's go resurvey that building to make sure nothing has changed unless unless they've done something in the, in the interim nothing has changed the data is still ver verified and up to date and have you seen that the people well generally in the industry? Oh, I beg your pardon, Ben, Russell, you go. Sorry, um, that works well where you have the client who is the uh, sort of owner operator builder. So, you, you know, they uh, design, build, and ultimately operate. Uh, but that isn't always the model for the industry. Plenty, um, you, you know, they build it and their value is selling it. You know, part of the problem with what we want to do in terms of life cycle within the industry is that not everyone's uh, engaged and has value in the life cycle. How do you um, 
overcome that hurdle uh, with um, with that section of the industry? Yeah, um, yeah, a lot of I suppose that is more relevant probably with a lot of the tier one, tier two contractors where where they're in on a possible fixed price contract. They just want to deliver a project as efficiently as possible. So, so we 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 are have been engaging with a lot of tier ones where we're um, actually signing preferred status with them. So what we effectively are with them are extensions of their own in-house capability. So we're providing support um, and resource if required, but ultimately what we're doing is we're we're working with them to try and improve workflows, um, standardization, um, to ultimately get them to where they possibly need to be over a period of time, get an understanding. So one or two contractors we're working with, um, we're, we're, we're um, uh, assigned to basically doing um, quarterly tech updates with them on the industry. So we work with, the, they have a, an in-house survey resource. Um, and the first thing we said is we don't want you to get rid of your, your in-house resource. We want to work with them and we'll support them and we'll be the extension. But we still... We, we we still do a lot of work with with the contractor um, and and we support and we actually provide training then for all their their junior staff coming in etc. So we're doing leveling courses courses etc. So so we're kind of that geospatial partner for them, uh, which is what we want an extension extension of them. We're working with them then on bids etc. Where we're where we're looking at methodology and so on and so forth and. Um, the relationship builds on the back of that, um, and and that's what we want. We can't, yeah, we can't put our arms around everything. But what we're trying to do is raise the game in terms of of geospatial awareness and and value overall. Um, and and the, the more we engage with with contractors, stakeholders, the 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 higher the value and the reliance and importance of what good data is going to be, and it'll save a lot of time and hassle and and uh, injuries, et cetera, due to strikes on sites and so on. I mean, that's clearly really valuable, really important, Colin, but obviously addressing it at tier one, tier two stages, quite a long way down the process. Are you seeing any evidence that the client side is paying more attention to this to ensure that the briefs they are passing on to the supply side are more intelligent and more capable of being dealt with in an effective and efficient way? Um, if you move away from, I suppose, as you said, Ben, asset owners who are engaging, um, they're definitely starting to engage more. But um, uh, it's slow adoption when it comes to design teams and consultant teams. Um, a lot of them are still, um, still just looking at their piece of work and delivering their piece of work as efficiently as possible, whereas uh, our belief would be uh, we need to be as engaged as early as an architect, an engineer, et cetera. On, and, and everyone needs to sit around pretty much in a round table effect right, and discuss, well, what's the project at hand? What's the task? What are we going to do? And everyone have, have feed it back, a feed into that um, and an understanding as to what we want to achieve. And good, like surely um, uh, an architect or an engineer um, would be would be far happier designing with a, with a data set that they know is correct and verified. Mm-hmm. It's going to make their life a lot easier. The client should be as well because it's going to save them time and money and reworks, etc. So that's what we're trying to do: is get to that top table, be part of that top team. But it's a it's a constant education, constant struggle. I'm at this game 26 years plus, and it's it's a re-education. Um, it, it's 
it's a, a mindset change and it's constantly working at the industry and the people we work at to try and help um, the awareness of it. Um, and uh, yeah. And has that mindset change uh, been required internally as well? I mean, there's a, you know, going from calling yourself a surveyor to a data custodian uh, yeah. must take a, a, a bit of a change internally as well, culturally. Definitely, yeah. Like last year, we, we probably put ourselves through the, through the ringer, to be honest, because we, with COVID, we had a rebrand and we actually ran a full in-house um, internal workshop that took up probably... 40, 50% of all senior management's time. So from, from the bottom up, we, we ran a process internally to um, basically we've extracted out a five-year plan uh, as an organization. Um, and it was uh, everybody within the company had a, had a buy-in and they all have a good understanding as to where we're going in the future and a re-education. And we're running lots of workshops and learning, uh, learning sessions, et cetera. But yeah, it's, it, it is a re-education and mindset. Um, we do a lot of work around um, key account um, and understanding it from the other side of the table. What's the value of data um, and, and think about it from the client point of view rather than saying, oh, I use this new, nice, new, shiny piece of kit and it does this, that. They don't really care what's it going to do for me as a client. And it's trying to get that mindset change um, uh, ever, how frustrating it is from a pure surveyor that just wants to talk about the nice, uh, nice piece of instrument. And then, then taking it really up upstream again. Um, obviously, with the events over the last twelve months, there's been a, a lot of talk about repurposing buildings, and even one one step higher about geospatial planning of cities and how cities will be used in the future. Yeah. What is your thought about the role of Murphy Geospatial and people like you in in facilitating that debate to really be at the core of what the future of society looks like? Yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting space, and I suppose if you had a, a blank sheet and a, a nice blank checkbook, you would you would say, yeah, cities need to need to have this verified model from subsurface to the air and everything accurately um, uh, defined, because then, yeah, it's a lot easier to plan uh, utility, plan autonomous vehicles. Like we we've been involved in a lot of autonomous vehicle testing, et cetera, and where we've created 3D models of certain areas of London so they can accurately um, um, obviously model the uh, the journeys, et cetera, because a lot of the, um, the existing mapping might be good to plus or minus 10, 20 centimeters, 30 centimeters. That's, that's not accurate enough when you're talking about the positional accuracy that some of these um, autonomous vehicles can drive to. You could be standing on a, on a curb um, and all of a sudden a vehicle could run straight over your toes because it's the accuracy is different than the mapping. So, um, yeah, it's, it's um, subsurface, I think, is where there's a big issue. Um, the accuracies of, of what, like London, you go into the city of London, just if you took a giant knife and took a, a cheese block out of the subsurface yeah. in, in London, you could, yeah. I'd say people will be astonished when they see the amount of utility. And, and, like there's, uh, there's, there's service tunnels for... For, for power, for post office, there's you name it, stuff that people don't don't know about, and um, and the secret pedestrian tunnels as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to try and it, to try and actually, it's not, um, just, yeah. it's not just that. I remember going uh, on a uh, a site visit with a demolition contractor, uh, and they thought um, the the tube lines were uh, 500 meters below basement. Turned out it was, I think it was 15. 
um, yeah. and it, they they just checked because they they thought it was a bit noisier than it should be, um, but that could have caused chaos. Yeah. yeah. Oh, de- definitely. Like we do a lot in the monitoring space uh, of, of structures, and uh, it's amazing when you actually go to site and you do verification. So we do a line and level and a condition survey of, of the the tube lines, possibly for um, before construction would start. But in a lot of cases, we would do verification, and it's not exactly where where the design might have thought it would have been and it causes all sorts of issues so i think uh, it's a big ask and it'd be a huge spend and would take a lot of time and a lot of buy-in from various stakeholders but a, a, a verified digital model of cities would make our lives a lot easier um and then management like if they're they're data enriched um assets management of our power how we turn on and turn off utilities when they're not needed utilization etc all that comes back to good data um, and it would pay for itself 10 times over over a life cycle of a building um, but it's it's it, the adoption rate will be slow because the initial spend is going to be significant um, but then like even even you take it back to environment um, issues with flooding like the amount of flooding issues that we there seem to be just escalating year on year that's down to just um, bad data and bad interpolation of data so the data might be there but someone's gone designing on a floodplain and they don't necessarily either have to or they they engage or they don't engage with existing data um and it's as simple as if there's good data there you can you you can verify you can you can understand well what floor level do i need to be at to to make sure that i don't uh we don't flood this uh, development um, and in a lot of instances, uh, and that's in Ireland, it's in the UK, it seems to be everywhere that, that, that uh, um, a, a misunderstanding as to what they need to do. It's not, it's not that difficult, but yeah, I think more and more um, um, knowledge probably and learnings around what we can do with a good data set, um, I think will make lives a lot easier for a lot of us. Mm. Well, look, we could obviously talk for hours on this, and, and the, the purpose of the podcast is to be part of that education and learning process. So uh, we'll, we'll start to bring this to an end. But uh, you, you mentioned there, like, like us, you've got business in Ireland, as have we. What, what would you say are the major differences, both culturally and also from a, a data mindset? Um, do you see much difference between the two territories? Um obviously uh, market size there's, there's a huge difference um i came over here 15 16 years ago with a bag on my back and thought i was going to conquer the uk uh, but i didn't realize how big the market was but um um i think certain uh, engagement um in ireland is a lot more personal it's it's um kind of who you know what you know and you can have a chat and but they um the adoption of a lot of the clients we have seems to be happening quicker in Ireland. It was slower to, slower to take place, but the actual the last twenty four months in terms of of uh, digital models and digital twins and BIM in Ireland, the last twenty four months has probably accelerated at the rate of the previous ten years in the UK. Um, so it's adopting, but maybe that's down to the market size. But um, it, it, they're definitely moving at a at a good pace. Um, Obviously, it's, there isn't the same scale of, of opportunities. We're on HS2 um, in the UK, and it's an unbelievable project, um, uh, probably larger than any, any project in Europe at the moment. But 
when, when we compare even development projects we're doing in London to the stuff in Ireland, um, even, even when you're talking about the, the height of the buildings and so on, it's different understanding, different models. So, so some of our business units, um, like we have a tall buildings division in, in the UK because of the 60, 70 floor buildings we're involved in. I think that the highest true planning at the moment in Dublin, I think they're trying to get 30 floors through planning. So it's a different mindset, different mentality, but definitely the adoption to digital has been very quick and the take up in Ireland is accelerating. And if, if, if they keep going at the rate they're going, I think they're going to set standards for a lot of Europe, if not other parts of the world, um, uh, definitely. And, and, and there's a lot of learnings. Uh, some of our internal three or four years ago, some of what we're doing in the UK, Ireland might have been two or three years behind the curve. Now, they'll probably kill me for saying this, but Ireland is, is probably ahead of the curve and they've caught up that quickly and, and they're accelerating um, at, a, at a great rate. But we, we, we try, so, so a lot of what we've done the last year is we're moving to a group strategy and a group mentality. So it's a lot more um, um, knowledge sharing across both companies. Um, uh, whereas in the past it was somewhat siloed because because of of um, of the projects we we're working on et cetera et cetera but but now it's it's amazing the the acceleration we we've got within the business by getting heads of departments from both sides to start knowledge sharing and talking to each other about what we're doing and and so on and so forth and it's um it's definitely gonna gonna be good overall for us. I so hope that continues. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, any. Final thoughts from you, or? Uh, well, I, I one uh, one last question. Um, so it's interesting what you're saying about sort of the uh, uh, the similarities and differences in adoption uh, UK and Ireland. Uh, what about the um, so trying to break the silos of data uh, and sharing that data? Uh, are you seeing? Um, uh, are is it different in Ireland? Are people more willing to share with the uh, the accelerated adoption that you're seeing there, or, or is there still that siloed? It's my data, my insights mentality. Um, from our point of view, I think um, there's a better. Uh, yeah, there's a good there's a good adoption. There still is some siloed, definitely within internally. There definitely is, and and we're trying to break that down um, because there's a lot of. There's a lot of positives towards um, cross collaboration within what we're doing in the business. Um, client side, um, some of the clients, yeah, I'm trying to think. They're de definitely the engagement level overall, probably with our clients uh, in Ireland, they have a better understanding. Um, um, but the, some of our key clients in the UK um, really value what we're doing. And that, and that has accelerated in the last 12 months even. Um, mm. I think COVID has really underpinned the importance of good data and we're all working remotely. So if, if you don't have a good data set and you can't go to site, what are you doing? Or if you can't sit around in a meeting. So as, um, if, if you've got something that's verified, you can, you can work remotely, you can kick on with a project and, and we, can, we, can, uh, we can discuss it uh, with, with, with proper vengeance. Um, we've just been engaged with a client to start looking at creating digital twins of a lot of their assets. With with they're they're an international client, and um, the importance of that is, is that they they said if we could save one to two percent of their transport costs globally, it would be worthwhile. So that, so they're creating digital twins of an asset, where their design teams can collaborate on a on a global scale by just dialing into a Teams meeting. 
they can they can run clash detections they can have discussions etc cetera, etc cetera. they can talk about retrofitting this part of the plant etc cetera, etc cetera. and at least if they've got good data they can they can take measurements there on on the on the zoom call or the team's call they can make decisions they can they can uh, move a project forward without having to jump on a flight and fly wherever and the cost element and the time element of that so um i can see that that definitely moving forward with vengeance people people digitizing their their assets well look colin as i say we could talk for hours i knew i i'd, I'd find it difficult to draw the passion out of you of, of what you do <laughs> but it, it comes across in space i mean seriously it's a yeah. it's a credit to you and luke and the rest of the team and what you're doing it's uh it's seriously impressive stuff we wish you every success if if people wanted to make contact with you, how could they find out more about you and, and make contact? We were more than happy to share the details on this podcast yeah, if you want to say. Yeah, definitely no problem. Oh, look, it, it's a it's a passion. Um, it's a passion probably that's skin deep with with us, and it's something that um, we'll consistently uh, uh, try and keep keep pushing the journey. And, and we have a long way to go. We we believe we've uh, a lot more to give. Um, and, and uh, engagement with um, with the, the the various faculties and colleges and so on. I think it's important to 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 work with the, the next generation and so on as well. So we do a lot of work on that. But yeah, look, uh, more than happy for people. They can email me direct if they want or um, website murphygs.com. Um, but yeah, more than happy. I'd love to love to speak to people. Um, a lot of people are, are tired of, of of me just ranting on about what we do but uh yeah i i am um, i'm passionate about what we do from, from you keep uh, ranting colin it's important there's a there's a lot of value you, you bring in and a lot more that you can bring so keep it up and we're happy to continue to support that, thanks so much for for sharing your time with us this morning really appreciate that thank you ben and thank you everyone for watching and listening if you like it please please do link us please share us please tell others if you're not too keen on it, please let us know so that we can improve it. And uh, if you've got ideas of how you could come on and make it even better, we'd be delighted to hear from you. For at that, I'll leave it and wish you all a very safe and happy day and look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye for now. For the highest R&D tax credit you can claim, we help construction businesses get back millions in tax credits every year. Contact us today for a free review. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.